Today's reading is from John 17, verses 1 to 5. Jesus prays to be glorified. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all the people that might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is our eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave to me. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. Thank you, Joel. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and reflections of all our hearts and minds be acceptable to God, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. I don't know if you've ever seen an inscription, sometimes in architecture, over a, over a doorway, for example, which read, Soli Deo Gloria. Yeah, yeah, you've seen it. It, it, it was quite a popular motto to put over people's doorways in the Middle Ages when people still knew Latin. Um, it means, to God alone be glory. Once uh, I heard about a small firm which was producing ornaments of a new age kind of variety. So there would be dragons and wizards. And in their little shop, they were also selling crystals and kind of ornamental um, Celtic symbol, you know, decorated things for tourists. And they were needing, at the beginning of their business, they needed a name. So they called themselves Solideo, because above the entrance door to their shop was this medieval lintel saying Solideo Gloria. And it made me giggle, because I don't think they knew what it meant. This decidedly non-Christian shop was working for God alone, you could say. But it's a bit sad too, isn't it? That people don't know anymore what these things mean. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be glory. For who better to teach and to guide us than the source of life and love? Who better to spend our precious free time on a Sunday? Bless you, you're here. Who better than advising us by reading the scripture and studying it? Who better to inspire us but God's Spirit? You'll have heard about on, or of the composer Johann Sebastian Bach. You may be a fan and, and enjoy listening to his music on Radio 4. No, 3, sorry. Radio FM. Oh, whatever it is. <laughs> on many of his manuscripts, and there were many, he wrote, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be glory. And indeed, Bach gave God glory with everything he wrote. And he wrote an enormous number of pieces of music. And the quality of it is sublime. Anybody who, who studies his, his music and his text, they're both equally important to him, will find that 
his music is really a religious contemplation and exaltation of God. It is giving God glory. If you have time and the opportunity, listen to, for example, the St. Matthew Passion of his, or the St. John Passion. It is musical preaching of the best kind. But society didn't get it. Even in the 18th century, music was subjected to fashion. And so soon after his death, the church also, the church and his, his, his contemporaries sadly lost interest and completely forgot about his, his, his body of work until Mendelssohn Bartholdi rediscovered Bach's work and put on performances and rediscovered the importance of Bach's work. Someone said, short is the glory that is given and taken by men and sorrow followeth ever the glory of this world. Short is the glory that is given and taken by men and sorrow followeth ever the glory of this world. Isn't it true? Today's reading is the beginning of Jesus' prayer, sometimes called his high priestly prayer. It comes just before his arrest. And as you, who have studied all of John's gospel until this point, know very well, at the end of his instructions to his friends over the Last Supper, they've had their dinner, they were shocked by Jesus getting up and washing the disciples' feet behaving as if he was a slave. I think we can hardly appreciate how shocking that was in those days. The teacher making himself to be a slave. The disciples had listened to him comparing dying to a homecoming to God. They heard him speak about a promised helper who would come. They'd heard him compare everybody to a vineyard Vine, branches, fruit. They'd also heard about persecution coming. It was all rather hard to take it all in and puzzling to understand. And then there's the start of his prayer. It sounds a bit more upbeat. Glorify your son so that I can glorify you. Well, is Jesus asking here for Praise, honor, and distinction from God? Does he want to be famous after all? Of course not. Jesus is in front of his friends doing what he's done so often in his ministry. He prays. He draws near to God because he knows full well that he will need all the strength that a human can have and more to fulfill his mission. It is, as we now say, a crucial time. I think there's the word cross in there, isn't there? Crucial, cross, isn't it? And far from glitz and glamour, fame or riches, which is what the world would uh, appreciate and find praiseworthy, Jesus is going to be faced with the exact opposite. In order to live the love of God on this earth, Completely without compromise, 
Jesus is soon going to be betrayed by one of his friends, Judas. He's going to be handed over to the authorities. He's going to be left by all his other friends, all on his own. He's going to be subjected to torture and trial in front of a court, which is more into political appeasement than justice. And so it comes, as you know, that the glory of God was nailed to the cross and overcame evil and even death only in the resurrection three days later. Jesus is ultimately being glorified by God at Easter, but he didn't know it when he did, said this prayer. God knew Jesus needed all the courage he could muster. God only in Easter gives him the affirmation that his words and his work were worth everything he gave. Jesus glorified God, the creating father of all the universe, by living the love of God without compromise, by suffering, dying, and rising to new life, to live and reign forever. And in consequence, all who confess Jesus Christ as Lord will inherit with and through him eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? Verse 3 explains what eternal life is. It says, And this is eternal life, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. There's no word about a life after this life. Eternal life is all about knowing God and Jesus. What happens after death, I suppose, is all in God's hand. So I think the church was wrong to try and frighten people into church in the Middle Ages, to make long sermons about hell and angels and there were apparently uh, academic treatises about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. Bananas. That's not what Jesus came to teach. We are to trust God entirely in this life and serve him entirely in this life. Christian aid has as its strap line, we believe in life before death. Whew. It's a bit, hmm, come on, such. But aren't they right? That's what we're supposed to do. What happens after death is in God's hand. We cannot know it. None of us, apart from Jesus, has been there and come back. And he didn't, he chose not to tell anybody because does it matter? It matters that we love now. We can trust that we will go home, whatever shape that takes. Now we are called to live, to live in God's spirit and take part in living and loving as God wants to live and love. We are to take part in kingdom building. 
God calls all of us to live fully now and even through death without a worry. New life, the new creation, has not come fully yet apart from in Jesus. God has begun to reshape the world with his spirit. We are all together on the road. That was the first name for Christians, people on the road, people off the way. And that caused Paul to completely reject what was important in his time for the Greek society. The educated Greek wanted honor. Nowadays we say fame. And Paul said, I don't care. It's not important. Instead, he sought to serve God alone. He accepted shame and dishonor, which did happen more and more, because the more Paul and other Christians talked about Jesus, the more the host congregation, which was the Jewish tradition, decided to chuck him out. The Christians had to leave eventually. It was a really difficult time for everybody. You know, if you've ever been part of a um, of a situation in church where people disagreed with each other, how painful that is. And it would have been equally painful for the, peop- the Jewish people who decided to stick with the old teaching and then the Christians who said, no, no, you must understand, Jesus has come, the Messiah has been. It was a terrible time for everybody and a dangerous one too because it meant that Christians were evicted They were told to leave and they had not got the protection anymore of the state because Judaism was one of the protected religions in in the Roman world. So what about us? 2,000 years later, we live in a time and in, in part of, in a land which is full of fame and riches. Many people crave fame and glory. The strength and the many talents that they have, they think they've got. And few ask, well, where did we get it from? Many forget that we are all here by the grace of God. Unlike Jesus, who refused the tempter's suggestion to worship him, to use his power for for public stunts and to provide for his personal needs, we can often feel tempted to do what we crave because we're worth it, aren't we? We spend time, energy and money to impress others. What for? But many are pulled along by the gospel of the advertising industry. Many others, in contrast, are becoming, well, it's not really a contrast, it can happen both to one person. Many others are becoming utterly depressed by the constant negative news we have to hear. And the news seems to be neglecting to remember all the positives that are happening too. Who looks for the glory of God in small things? Who spends their time caring, serving, and loving 
for free. This is what Jesus commanded. This is where comfort and joy will come from. When we love God and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We're in the time of Lent. And I think I'm probably a bat you haven't seen for a long time, you know, with my my German outfit, which has been also decorated with this stole, which is the, the Protestant churches have borrowed from the more Catholic branches of the church. And it changes color. So when it's a happy time, it's a white stole. And very handily, I was given this one for my ordination. It can be turned. So this is penitential time, the time before Easter and before Christmas, when it's a purple color, reminding us that we are in a reflective mood, in a penitential mood, you would say, in the old-fashioned language. In this season of Lent, let us take an example again of Jesus and pray. And ask God to give us the strength to serve him. To, for God to work his glory through our ordinary tasks. Let us ask in prayer for God to come near to us, to forgive us, to strengthen our faith, that we too may be able to glorify God in all we think and say and do. And with that, may we indeed glorify God, the creating Father, Jesus, our teacher and good shepherd, and his loving, guiding spirit. There's a doxology which is very old, from the third century in Egypt. It went like this, translated, I presume. May none of God's wonderful works keep silence night or morning. Bright stars, high mountains, the depth of the seas, sources of rushing rivers. May all these break into song as we sing to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May all the angels in heavens reply, Amen, Amen, Amen. Power, praise, honor, eternal glory to God, the only giver of grace. Amen, Amen, Amen.